It's worked so far, but we're not out yet. I wanna know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide. I wanna know what you're feeling. Tell me what's on your mind. Hailing frequencies open and welcome to Enterprising Individuals, the show where we boldly go into excruciating detail about the series, characters, and stories of the Star Trek universe. I'm your host, Caliban, and I created this show. I created it! And it's real! Don't you understand? It's real! I created it! And it's real! I'm joined by a special guest today, Jenna. She is... Jenna, tell me about yourself. Well, I am a old-school Trekkie. Well, not really old school. I would probably say new school. Middle school? New I like school. Deep Space Nine. That works. Oh, lot. okay. That is middle school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so right in the middle there. Okay. Uh, I also collect comic books. I also do the local Rocky Horror Picture Show Shadowcast. I've been doing that for about eight years. Nice. Uh, we're called Transvestite Soup. We do one show every month, last Saturday of the month at midnight at Uptown Theater. Nice. Transvestite Soup, and I assume people can find information about that online. Yes, we are what, very so easy to... You're a comic person, and I think you have, like, thousands of, of issues. Um, what, who's your, what's your book? Like, who's your, who are your heroes, or what do you read? Uh, probably my favorite is uh, from the 80s. I love the Magic uh, limited series. That would probably be my all-time favorite. Sure, yeah. Uh, I also love uh, Fallen Angel and Fables, kind of all over the place. Also Teen Titans, the original okay. 80s run. Cool. I'm big on the '80s stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, like uh, like New Mutants, uh, that type. Yeah, of stuff. New Mutants is actually by far my favorite uh, comic book. I, I'm uh, I'm excited, and yet I'm sort of tentative about this this possible this uh, movie they're going to do, the New Mutants movie. Yeah, I'll, I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking for a little more uh, kind of early um, Claremont, uh, Sinkevich, and less uh, Cable and uh, Deadpool and that sort of yeah. life-filled thing. But it seems like with the success of Deadpool, that's probably the way it's going to go. Yeah, I'll probably never forgive uh, Deadpool for making it that I can <laughs> collect the full series of New Mutants. Yes, I exactly. literally have 99, <laughs> right. except for the original Deadpool. Exactly. Uh, I think I have it, but I can't remember if the poly bag is opened or not, so it doesn't really matter. Just um, all of them. Yeah, right. Uh, but Wrong show. This is not a comic book show. This is a Star Trek show. So thanks for being on the show, or uh, permission to come aboard granted. And today we'll be talking about the 13th episode of Deep Space Nine's sixth season, Far Beyond the Stars. The show has an air date of the 11th of February, 1998, and its star date, I think, is technically unknown, but this is firmly set after the finale of season five. Now, you're going to have to help me out because I'm a little um, fuzzy on my DS9. Um, I do like the show, but it was on uh, when I was just deep in um, college and I was trying to study and I felt guilty every time I watched Star Trek. And so, so I've seen like a lot of the real um, sort of key uh, episodes of DS9, but I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm kind of in middle school myself when it comes to, to DS9. Well, basically this episode falls right in the middle of the Dominion War, okay. uh, which is the people that are on the other side of the wormhole. 
right. they're trying to take over the Alpha Quadrant. Right. Um, the Cardassian have uh, the Cardassian Empire has joined uh, forces with them, and so have the Breen at this point, I believe. It's bad news. Uh, and basically, the Federation is losing the war. Okay. Hardcore. At the beginning of this episode, uh, Cisco finds out that he just lost a good friend of his, of his like the full ship destroyed. Right. Completely. And he's starting to lose faith in what he's doing, not just as the emissary, but as a Star Trek or as a Federation captain. That's a pretty good encapsulation of what happens in the episode. Um, but first, let's let's talk about you. Let's talk about your fandom, um, how, your backstory. How did you come to Star Trek? Oh, that's pretty easy. I grew up with a dad that was a pretty big Trekkie. Sure. Um, I remember watching a lot of reruns of Next Generation and then Enterprise when that was airing. Uh-huh. I never really fully sat down and watched the whole thing ever. I just got bits and pieces. So I knew who everyone was. I knew who Data was and all that jazz. Sure. But uh, I moved to L.A. right for college, and I hated it. So I decided <laughs> I would watch Star Trek instead, and I watched the entire franchise in six months. Oh, wow. Okay. I watched all of Voyager in three weeks. That's wow. That's I know for a full date. Wow. That's that's pretty good. Uh, was that like uh, like eight hour shifts, like during the day, or just that kind of cramming in on weekends? And and four day cl- or only having classes on four days. Okay. Good job. Right. That my goal is to. I think I've made it to maybe the beginning of season seven of Supernatural, and I've been told that it's it's not really great from there. So I think someday, um, yeah, when I get like a fortnight, I'm just going to try to blast through the whole rest of the thing. Well, that's cool. Um, I have a similar uh, backstory as well. Uh, like my dad and I sort of connected over Star Trek, and I think that, that a lot of people uh, have probably a similar um, history or backstory with it. Why did you pick this episode specifically to talk about? I mean, this is the first time you've been on the show. Why is this the specialist? Uh, I always remember, even like after I finished my big binge, this was the one that I wanted to go back and rewatch because I wanted to understand it more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just always stood out because, for one, you always get to see... It's always interesting to see what character actors in Star Trek look like without all their makeup. Right, yeah. I I just thought that was the coolest thing. And it took me about two or three watches uh, over the years to realize that the newspaper boy at the beginning is uh, the guy that plays Nog. Nog, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, and it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Everything from uh, Cisco has such amazing emotions in it and they range from ecstatic to just completely heartbreaking and everyone in the office during those episodes during those scenes is just has such chemistry yeah it's funny that um or it's interesting to see um avery brooks get to actually play i i like cisco a lot as a character but he's very stoic and he's very very focused a lot of the time and he doesn't let a lot of things slip and it's great to see him get a a role where he plays you know this guy benny this author who's just a normal guy and so you get to see him react with disappointment and get hope and have the hope crushed and he's got a girlfriend and it's just it's it's a great role for him to sort of stretch out a little bit Mm -hmm. well let's talk about benny russell so uh, as you were saying before, um, Cisco is at a point of uh, he's at a, a point of crisis, um, and he is wondering about his sort of place in the fleet and if the war is going well. And he doesn't really know what to do, and he expresses that to his dad, who's visiting on on station. And then he begins having these sort of hallucinations where he's seeing people who look like they're from the fifties, which is weird. And then he himself is sort of drawn into this fantasia that isn't really explained. They just kind of 
throw the viewers into it as well, where he is a uh, he is a sci-fi author in the early 50s. I think it's 1953 is about yep. where it is. And he is writing for uh, a magazine called uh, Galaxy uh, Galaxy Adventures or Galaxy Magazine. Nope, it's Galaxy is the competitor. They're uh, writing for Amazing Tales. And in his office, everyone in the office is played by the regulars on the show from you know Kira all the way down, only they are also completely different uh, alter egos. So he's surrounded by, you know, his friends and coworkers who are playing other sci-fi people. And I think that I had read somewhere that a lot of the people, uh, the characters in the show are supposed to reflect or sort of uh, echo real world uh, authors and personages. Like D- uh, Casey Hunter, uh-huh. uh, the uh, character that Kira is playing. Yes. Uh, she is actually a complete analog of DC Fontana, one of the female writers sure. from the original series of Star Trek. Sure, sure. Yeah, who's associated with uh, the show for and the franchise for a long time. I heard, too, that she was um, also an analog of, of Catherine Moore, who wrote a C.L. Moore. I haven't heard Smart. that. Yeah. And uh, I think that um, Al Macklin is, is supposed to be um, Isaac Asimov or, or something yep. like that. Yeah. Because he loves robots. <laughs> And um, I, I'm not sure that Benny uh, Russell himself um, maps onto anybody else, but I've heard that he is sort of a Chip Delaney figure. I haven't heard that, but that'd be cool. Just because he's, you know, um, black and he's sort of, you know, writing at this early time in sci-fi and, and, and experiencing, I'm sure, the resistance that um, that Delaney also probably uh, faced as well. Um, yeah. If you had to pick... Like, if you had to award a Medal of Honor to a scene, a moment, or a character that stands out for you, what would, what would your Starfleet Medal of Honor moment be for this show, this episode? For sure, uh, honorable mention goes to when Cisco melts down completely. Yeah, okay. It's real. Clearly, it's obviously. Real. Right, right. But I don't know why, but the thing that always cracks me up every time I watch it is when Dax is reading the, the Deep Space Nine stories and she goes, oh, she's got a worm in her belly. Get a worm oh, in her belly. That's disgusting. <laughs> that's interesting, but that's disgusting. <laughs> right. I crack up every single time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like, um, I like uh, Armin Shimmerman's, uh, his performance and his character. Oh yeah, uh, as, acting with Odo is amazing. Yeah, and to get to because they do it on the show as well, but to get to see them do it as different characters, and also to see him out of his makeup. Like I'm not very familiar with him and his body of work outside of DS9, but it's clear that he's he isn't just the guy you know the arch bartender. He can do a lot of things, and I like him as this character who is he's he's a do gooder, um, but but he's really in your face about it. He's kind of like a mean good guy. And of course, he's you know he's he's communist uh, you know obviously because it's the fifties and so they make fun of him for that. But it was cool to see him like without his his makeup doing something different like that. Yeah, I always see him as a uh, Principal Snyder from Buffy the Vampire. Slayer. Oh yeah, yeah, Buffy exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that um, I guess I would have to give Avery Brooks um, sort of the honorable mention too for for what you uh, mentioned. And it's funny because the origi- uh, the episode had originally um, been conceived of as a Jake Sisko story. Um, oh. Jake Sisko um, would have traveled back in time, or at least thought he hallucinated that he had, and he would have met um, sci-fi writers in a similar situation, I think, to what actually ended up on the page. But it would have been one of those things where, uh, like, aliens put that in his mind to like study his reactions and to find out more about us. 
Um, and that was later on merged with another idea that I think um, Iris Stephen Bear had about Cisco hallucinating that he was like a homeless man in sort of a modern Earth and then thinking that he, you know, in another life was a guy on a space station. So they sort of squeezed those two things together. And I think this is better because we remember this. But I like Stark Lofton uh, and I like his, his Jake, but I don't think that he could carry something like that just by himself. No. He's definitely amazing in uh, The Visitor, but eventually yeah. that's taken over by, I cannot place the actor's name, but the older guy that plays Jake Sisko in The Visitor. Yeah, right. Yeah, Sarah Clofton does do amazing in this episode, though, uh, playing his character, J- uh, Jimmy. Right. And, uh, I mean, he eventually does drop the N-bomb, and that's shocking. Yeah, N-bomb is dropped. That's right. Yeah. I guess that can lead into Captain's Flog, the segment where we talk about the pet themes that Star Trek as a franchise in general likes to beat into us for for good or bad, uh, usually good. And racism is, you know, it's it's front and center in this episode. There's no real way around it. Yeah, that's sure. Yeah, it's funny because the franchise famously and often artlessly uh, takes on social issues. Example completely out of nowhere comes to mind, uh, the Frank Gorshin episode of the original series, you know, where he's black on one side, he's white on the other, and that's about discrimination, that sort of thing. Yeah. But it's funny because this episode is literally about a black man facing discrimination in Earth's past, our relative present. Yeah, it's it's definitely a very interesting thing. I really don't think any other Star Trek franchise could have pulled this off as interestingly as they did. Why do you say um, that? Uh, just... I I love Patrick Stewart, but if we ended up doing this, we'd have a white guy and a, I don't know, they'd probably be like, Um, have Patrick Stewart thinking he's black or something. Yeah, or, right, yeah, or he'd see it play out and he'd be the white guy standing on the side going, that's that's terrible, that's a terrible thing. That's a bad thing. Right, okay, yeah, that's a great point. Um, Yeah. I mean, we've got a black captain and, you know, the 24th century is, is totally cool with that, but... You know, it's a story that's a meta narrative about literally the, the business of writing sci-fi stories. It's the business that the the people who make the show are in, and you know, it tells you that it's you know it's not always been easy and it's still tough sometimes. That's probably one of the reasons I enjoy this episode so much. It was originally released for Black History Month. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and the episode was actually directed by Avery Brooks himself. So. He had a lot of input on how this was betrayed because it's a very, very important uh, subject to him. Yeah, and it's cool because other uh, actors on the show, um, all the different shows, have directed episodes and even films before. But never before has has it been they've been so centrally featured in the movie or episode, um, which I think they knew was going to be tough. But they were like, well, this is, you know, he's he's the guy to do it. And it turned out, I think, pretty well. I want to talk about. Uh, some crackpot pet theories. Um, everybody has fanon uh, and sort of uh, like head cannon about certain things. Um, do you have any um, theories you'd like to share about what might have been going on? I do. It's it's a it's an odd one. Okay. Um. Uh, going out, out away from this episode a little bit. Uh, in the first episode of Deep Space Nine, emissary, I believe it is. Uh huh. Um. Uh, Cisco has to explain to the, the wormhole aliens exactly what linear time is. Right. And it's about 20 minutes of this explanation. Right, yeah. And it baffles you. 
it's it's not something that you can easily grasp on, and I, I'm pretty sure that this might be the reason why uh, Avery Books has kind of gone off the deep end. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's definitely become one of the more crazy uh, Star Trek uh, actors in recent years. Okay. What specifically has he been up to? Um, I can't think of anything off the top. Oh, okay. All right. But he's a, he's eccentric. Yeah, he, he definitely... Does he do appearances? Uh, Does he do, like, um, cons and Star Trek not cons? Not a lot. Um, I don't think many of the captains do. Yeah. I, I, I mean, Patrick Stewart is still doing whatever the hell he wants, but... Right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if um, uh, uh, Kate Mulgrew does very much, either. Uh-huh. I, the only person I know in Deep Space Nine that tours like crazy is uh, Chase Matterson, who plays Lita. Oh, okay, okay. That's cool. So, um, I think as, that's the only thing she's done, actually. Yeah, yeah. I'm kidding. Um, I, I think um, I, my theory is that I think it's I think it's common knowledge at this point, or if it's not, um, you know, the producers of the show originally toyed with the idea of ending the like the entire series with Benny Russell on the set of a show called DS9. Yeah, uh, which is sort of Tommy Westfally. Uh, I'm glad they didn't do that. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, I still don't like the ending that they did come up with. Well, that well, okay, <laughs> maybe it would have been that, yeah. But what if this whole thing, like this whole episode, was a backdoor pilot for like a laughter on the twenty third floor style show about the sci fi industry in the fifties? I mean, think about it. Like the sets and costumes could just come out of what Paramount has lying around, so it'd be cheap. You know, they could have beat Mad Men to the press by ten years with the whole nostalgia for you know fifties and sixties and, and shows. Now, like, what do you think? Every I week, think that probably it, it would have been be, a lot of fun. Yeah, they could be working on some different, like, we got to get this story written, or like, oh, this guy at the at the com- competing magazine's got a thing, and they got to beat them. And well, we do need another appearance of Betty Russell later in the the next season, I believe. In, okay, all right. Um, and it's just, it's I think it's like maybe a couple of minutes, but it's basically just Betty Russell in the same writing Deep Space Nine stories on the wall. Okay, all right. No, is that like a Pa Wraith vision or something? Yep, it's a Pa Wraith vision. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. So that okay, so yeah, that was probably their little. No, you can't make the whole series in his head, but you can have that. <laughs> yeah, it definitely would have been interesting if he had come up a lot more often than just those two times. Yeah, yeah, I think that they could have spun off an entirely different show. Um, I think they still could and should. Like Paramount should should get on this. Like, it's being a nerd is a lot more sort of mainstream and popular now, and I think people would. May possibly be interested in the story of a younger Isaac Asimov, like trying to you know deal with his publisher and his editors and have other um, sci-fi authors you know in there. <laughs> That's my pitch, so I'll, I'll take that to Paramount. Uh, also, watch that show. You, okay, good. <laughs> I got one one on board. Um, this is totally out of left field, but like when Kay and Julius are making the the tea, the white rose tea, is that a wormhole reference? I don't know for sure. But I do it, love that part. Yeah. Um, if just side note, the at that point those two uh, actors are married to each other. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's you can definitely tell that chemistry off each other. But sure. I do really love that. Yeah, I just I don't know. It's just the whole like because the wormhole has you know like a fl- flower imagery and. I don't think I've ever thought of that. And it's you know it is it does instantly allow you to travel to somewhere else. So that's I don't, I'm just. Otherwise, I have no idea what that was for, except, hey, it's instant tea. Okay, great. Well, you get to get a lot of those. We get uh, um, uh, O'Brien's character playing on the bongos, and you get uh, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> uh, Dax's character 
chewing all the gum and right, right. And Martok's character just sitting there chewing on cigars. It's absolutely perfect. Right. There's a lot of comedy uh, bits in the episode. Oh, uh, yeah. Do you have a favorite joke or, or comedy bit? Uh, probably the it's a worm in her belly. The worm, yeah. With uh, Dax. <laughs> uh, I like that uh, Willie... Um, uh, Michael Doran's character, um, his, the baseball player, he's hit, he hits on Cassie all the time, um, but he's not really pushy. He you know, he does it like you know at least once every time he sees her. But he's just kind of like, hey babe, uh, what do you think? Want to go out? And she's like, no. He's like, oh, all right. <laughs> just kind of. Yeah, I love when uh, 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 Benny Russell just kind of puts himself between the two and goes three strikes, you're three out, strikes, and then turns out. around and instantly kisses her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's just uh, you know he'd like to go out with her, but it's, uh, it's not a big deal. He's he's got probably got other fish to fry, I'm sure. Um, so as we sort of get to the end of the episode here, if you have any um, closing thoughts or sort of uh, parting parting shots about the episode, uh, this is where they go. Um, I definitely recommend this episode. It's a it's a perfect one to kind of show newbies. Yeah. Uh, what what Star Trek can really do? I okay. know that I definitely showed it to like. A, a bunch of my friends one night when we were just choosing random episodes uh, of stuff to get people into. And actually right now, Sean and I are completely watching through deep space nine again. It's, it's okay, cool. that much. <laughs> yeah. I think that the, the art department probably had a lot of fun making the covers um, of the books and the art, you know, from the stories. And I have heard, I don't guess I don't have any specific references, but I know that they tried to put, sort of references in, into the franchise in there. Like one of the covers to the books is, you know, a black and white version of one of the matte paintings um, from TNG, like one of the planets they went to or, or something like that. I think they had a lot of fun uh, drawing things like sunset on, on, on Andorus and that, that space age version of Deep space nine is gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great. I love that. It's like the USAF DS nine yeah. or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I like this episode, too. Um, I guess the only thing I'd say is I think it's a little uh, overly simplistic. I mean, I, you know, it, when it comes to sci-fi, like, I, I kind of want, like, a metaphor. Like, we talked about how this sort of strips the metaphor, and it just gives you this straight episode. And I think that's really brave. And it doesn't make it any less powerful, but, like, when I watch a sci-fi show, I feel like I'm buying a ticket to a show where the maybe the guy who plays the Riddler on Batman looks like a black and white cookie, and, like, that's the, that's the metaphor. <laughs> And, you know, and I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, but this is a, like a really strong statement. And I, and I like the fact that they, you know, were brave enough to, to do this and to not think and say that just because Avery Brooks and also Ben Sisko is the, is the captain or leader of this thing, then racism's fixed and nobody's going to run into any problems. Oh, yeah. This episode does have repercussions throughout the rest of the series yeah. of uh, you'll notice that Sisko uh, actually never goes into Fick Fontaine's uh, uh, lounge until like the last uh, the bada bing bada bang right. episode and it's purely just because of uh, he thinks it's fake uh, not having the racism be there because it's a lie sure that's uh, that's interesting to note do you think that the producers of the show I mean it's clear that they really wanted to I, I mean Avery Brooks could have won the role based on just his talent and presence alone but it's clear that they wanted to they're willing to explore these issues more than just, like I said, the, the Frank Gorshin thing or, or you know, Riker has fallen in love with a girl who's, you know, it's a, clearly a transgender analog, but she's an alien. So she's from another, she's from another planet. So it's yeah. sort of softened and distanced. But that's interesting. Um, we'll have to have you back and talk about Bada Bang later. Yeah. I would love to hear uh, have you back for that. So let's talk um, real quick, just some personal stuff. 
Uh, I want to talk My Space Dad Can Beat Up Your Space Dad. Who's your favorite captain and why? Cisco uh, is actually my favorite captain. Uh, hands down. Awesome. Okay. Down, hands down, my favorite captain. And it's uh, chiefly because of his awesomeness. Uh, I mean, he, he just is so well-rounded. He's a great father. He That's is true. intellectual. He can cook. I mean, he's he's so much more well-rounded than a lot of the other captains. Um, I mean, I haven't watched Next Gen in a while, but literally the only features I remember of uh, uh, Picard is that he likes Earl Grey tea and he likes archaeology. <laughs> oh, come and that's on. About there's, it. <laughs> there's more to him than that. He does. He does like those things very much, though. That's a really great point. I, I think I'm pretty sure he's the only captain uh, who, who's a parent or at least uh, demonstrably so. And that's a that's a really great point. Um, that's a facet that we don't see. Here's another thing about Picard. Likes tea, likes archaeology, doesn't like kids. And we always have to, there's always a story, you know, two every year and then one or two of the movies where he's like, oh, should, I should have kids or maybe I shouldn't have kids. It's like, dude, you're 75. I, had the, I know the future's a little different, but yeah, that's interesting. Um, that's a really good point. And you get a point for that in my yeah, exactly. tally of fake points. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably the other really cool thing is that he starts out as a commander, not a captain. And he's yeah. the only uh, franchise captain that does that. Yeah. Um, so he earns it, and you get to see him earn it. <laughs> and also, it's he also starts off as somebody who is I mean, even he, the, the series ends, and it's not like he's super spiritual. But he starts off as somebody who's not spiritual at all, and then he has to sort of interface with these prophets slash aliens, but sort of spirits and the theme of religion throughout DS Nine. And I just think it's neat to see him sort of navigate that, but not in a Scrooge sort of, I don't believe in ghosts, like kind of way. Like he just sort of deals with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the, the other really interesting things is at the just beginning of the series, you see him as a, a, a recent widower. Yeah. And you're watching him mourn his wife and you know, growing, you know, through the stages of grief. Yeah. And <laughs> right. eventually finding Cassidy and falling in love again. Yeah. And in that first episode with some really like aliens who don't get it, who keep like twisting the knife, like watch yeah. this episode, but any viewers who have not seen Emissary, the first episode, I would definitely recommend that because that, that's rough. Like when we started, when I watched that, like I said, way back in the day, um, we knew that we were in for something. Trek uh, TNG could get, kind of serious and dark sometimes but like that first episode's like wow this is going to be a different kind of show oh yeah so now that we've completed this show you have received a commission and the rank of ensign in starfleet academy so what department on the ship are you going to work in oh i would probably be in engineering with chief o'brien okay so i want to work on deep space nine sure uh i am a engineer major in real life so Oh, okay. Definitely think that's where I'd probably be headed. Okay. Yeah, science sure. tends to get you killed from things. <laughs> that's, yeah, that, that's definitely true. <laughs> and command, or uh, yeah, command. You'll also get killed from being blown up from some sort of thing on on the bridge. Right. <laughs> as long as you can make it out of the engineering when the warp core starts to breach, you're okay. You do the Just little go roll. Just hide in Jeffrey's tube, and everything will be fine. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Ensign Jenna, thanks for joining me to talk about Star Trek and Deep Space Nine. If people want to continue the conversation, and they can, at at EISTpod on Twitter and the Enterprising Individuals Facebook page, where can people find you online? 
um, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Tessa underscore Sage, or you can find me on Tumblr at the Vagena Monologues. Uh, Vagena, V-A-G-V-A-J-E-N-N-A. Thanks for joining me again. You're very welcome. And we are signing off until the next mission, hailing frequencies closed. Sign your-